Hi everyone, welcome to the Be The Vessel podcast. My name is Daniel and I play the roles of channeler and intuitive psychologist, aiming to bridge all aspects of the healing arts while navigating my return journey to the stars. I interview those journeying through all aspects of healing, whether that be from more traditional Western frames or from a more spiritual or spirit-based connection. What I always find is that everyone is a bridge between worlds, a universe unto themselves, and a unique light that shines brightly for the collective. If you like what you hear and are interested in more of my offerings, consider joining the Be The Vessel community at patreon.com slash Atkins, where you will find various unique offerings bonus content, and podcasts such as my own channeled information and the new Be The Vessel healing series. May you find what you're looking for and remember the light within. Marina Carrier lived through early trauma as an unwanted child who was sexually abused by her stepfather until age nine when she was left for dead. Despite her suffering, she was led through God's will to a career as a teacher and a PhD in education. At a pivotal time involving mental and physical exhaustion, as well as a husband's betrayal, she heard her name called by God and was given early retirement to return to the church. Through the dark night of the soul, she unraveled her trauma and embraced her faith in love. Her trauma healing journey brought renewed compassion and will to serve others who bear the burdens of lovelessness and shame. Please enjoy this episode with Marina Carrier as we explore trauma, faith, and surrender. May it be an invitation, a gift, and a medicine to follow the threads of your own darkness into the light. Hi, Marina. Thanks so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you, Daniel, for having me. It's a joy to meet you and talk with you. Yeah, Spirit really brought us together as as you reached out uh, recently with quite an interesting story and a, and a faith-driven life and trauma-filled life, as I'm sure we'll, we'll touch upon, and, and it felt aligned to, to have you on. Uh, you know, I was reading your, the bio you sent me and everything, and was just reflecting on uh, where, where might be an aligned place for us to start. And I felt guided to this time in your life that felt very, very active, um, I, I imagine quite draining as well. And it's when you were completing your PhD, uh, married, raising a child, and it, it just felt like that uh, may have been a, a pivotal or really transitional time for you. And so I was guided to to explore what that was like for you. Was was faith an active part of your life at that time or did it recede in the background to your responsibilities and training and what was going on then? I have to say that, that really I went to church as a child with my mother and I actually had a sort of, you know, a mystical experience, shall we say? After studying um, A-level scripture at um, between 17 and 18, which I did because I needed a third A-level, that's the level of exam that you needed to get into the sixth form and then go to university. And because in those days you couldn't do maths and English together, and those were my two A grades, so I had to drop maths. So I'd got English and history, and they they didn't make, but they offered me scripture which meant that I had to really study and find out about both the Old Testament and New Testament. Um, And I came to recognize that, for me anyway, it took more faith not to believe in Christ than to believe in him. But because of my childhood trauma, uh, I really could not commit myself to a church. I sort of blamed the church because I couldn't blame my mother. uh, There was no father left at that time. 
um, either stepfather or, you know, my, my blood father. So my poor mother got all the blame and and that and that so I had to put that on the church. So subconsciously I de- I denied the church. But I didn't deny God. And you know, he gave me a great uh, ability to write poetry and to reflect in me and and whatever. And because he says in the word of God, if you proclaim my name among men, I will proclaim yours among the angels. And so I was given great grace, you know, both in my marriage, because my mother, my mother, my um, husband was a, essentially an atheist. He was a non-practicing um, Catholic, uh, not, not just non-practicing. He, he would declare himself an atheist. And uh, it was often very difficult. But I didn't have any on. I didn't have any. I didn't have any church. I didn't have any churchianity. But I loved the children and and adults and things that I. I mean, I my 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 teaching career was like it was it was following the spirit, although I didn't know. And all the my my aims and objectives in schools were you know things that it says that Christ was had come for, but I didn't know. I had no I had no understanding of that but i can remember times when i was dis- had this ease and i would just sort of look up and i i didn't know about prayer at all and then i would just find this peace coming down on me so there was clearly a link there but when my husband was unfaithful i just was totally um blown apart really um and it when I mean, I found out that you know he'd been unfaithful, but it was the lying to me that hurt and really damaged me. And I realised that that linked back in with my father's stepfather's um, abuse and uh, the near death experience that I had with him. So that's what sort of led me into a position where God had to bring me back into something more tangible, because. Um, I, I, you know, I, I fell apart. I was doing a PhD when I was still married, um, at my husband's uh, encouragement, really. And it, and I went into teacher education, so I moved away from him and, and got a job um, elsewhere. And it was a time, you know, really of I really I know I was being carried, but I wasn't. I didn't have that peace in me that I'd had before. Yeah, so it, it it sounds like throughout your life on some level and, and through this period, you were being kind of intuitively guided by God's yes. source, yes. but without an yes. explicit yes. recognition or acknowledgement of that process, almost kind of just Absolutely. following the wings of your own inspiration and passion for, for teaching and kids and things like that. Yeah. And then as, you know, as, as is the case for, for some of us, uh, spirit says, okay, it's time to wake something up and, and, and bring what has maybe been subconscious to the forefront and 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 sometimes that can be quite a painful <laughs> quite a painful Ooh. experience <laughs> but as you know we can't live without love we we really can't serve and love and bless others unless there's some notion of love so that you know the love from my husband you know had been cut off because there was no trust and then the man I then started living with you know he said he didn't want to marry me so I was left abandoned again you know yeah and so 
the invitation there is for us to uh, to to look and to see. Wow, this abandonment. What what is this all about? <laughs> and so uh, maybe we maybe you could speak a little bit to that. You know, dark night of the soul kind of experience and and how that you know where that led you. To some extent, I mean, I say again, you know, the the, the consciousness was of that feeling of I can't do this. I've got no strength. And I was actually crying. I, you know, I didn't cry. I coped. I, I, you know, I took control. I managed everything. That kind of expression was not typical for you. No. And um, no, I, I really, you know, I was the coper. And um, that was the grace God had given me, really. But I wasn't coping. And neither at work nor personally or whatever. And I was crying on my bed. And then heard my name. Now, really, I had no conscious concept of God. I know I'd done this, you know, scripture teaching, learning years and years and years before. This By this time, I'm sort of late 50s. And um, it just was so, um, I had a sense of self, but I was uh, exhausted and abandoned. And then I heard this voice just calling my name, and something in me, because I was a baptized child, and something in me was comforted. But consciously, I didn't understand anything. But then I saw things happening that I hadn't made happen. And I realized that this thing was helping me. And I, the only thing I knew what to do, and I had a sense of you know, right behavior, uh, the only thing I knew to do to thank this thing was to go to a, a church. So that's, you know, I didn't come to church with a great sense of this or that or the other, you know. It was almost like the sense of self became so permeable, so like loosened that it just allowed in something that you almost didn't even have the strength to question or try to figure out. You're like, all right, I guess I'll do this. <laughs> no, no. I, I, but it, my life had been like that. Yeah. You know, that's what I say. My my life in teaching was like this. In a sense, I didn't choose to come into teacher education. I came into teacher education because I'd done a PhD. I'd been invited to do the PhD. You know, it wasn't something that I was professionally proud of or whatever, but it had, it had opened doors in people's understanding and the place where I did the research. You know, they learned from my perspective on the PhD. And they learned to understand that children had minds and hearts and perspectives, um, which, you know, subconsciously I knew very well because, you know, of everything that had happened to me. So, um, you know, I, I went from that position having to own my brokenness, you know. And, uh, and then I, you know, I remember starting going to a church, I went to one church and went to another church. And one day I, th I think I felt I had to speak to this vicar because, you know, he was missing the point about something. I mean, for goodness sake, you know, where was my humility? <laughs> but anyway, but by the time I'd finished this meeting with him, but the spirit had said to me, don't listen to how he says it, listen to what he says. Because he was a big man, you know, and he was a little bit bombastic. But what he said was, you're confused, you need help, you need the rock. So I went away with the readings that he gave me. He said, he said you, need, you need the rock? 
Yeah. What does that mean? Christ. Ah. It's uh, one of the t- the words for Christ is is the rock. Okay. The certainty, the solidity. I see. So I didn't know what that meant, but I went away with the readings he gave me, and I was doing them. Uh, and then this man came back from the trip he'd been on, and um, but I then went for the second. And during, just after he came back, I knew I couldn't stay in the bed with him. It wasn't anything teaching, anybody saying this is immoral, this is, it wasn't anything like that. It was totally from within. And I got out in the middle of the night and, uh, you know, had to face up to, <laughs> to the situation in the morning. Anyway, I then went for the second visit to the, to the priest and he said, um, you know, I just feel God is inviting me to invite you to give your life, to open your heart to, to Christ. I didn't really, other than reading this book, I didn't know what that meant. Right. And and yet I drew a picture when I came home of this light coming into me. And uh, so that's been the journey of allowing that light into darker places. So it's still going on. As I say, last night I was, I woke up in the night with this, anguish in my head because i'm very aware that there's aspects of the of the trauma that i haven't had haven't haven't been able to face haven't been enabled to face and i know that there's bits of my behavior that are very much trauma based i don't know whether you still have that um i'm sure you're better than them but (laughs) (laughs) but um uh you know i so i just i all i could do was pray i couldn't work it out there's no, you, I mean, no, none of us can work out our trauma brains because that was why they're trauma. Right. We're, we're trying to use the, the traumatized brain to work out the traumatized brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't work. Mm-mm. And uh, so, you know, I, I prayed last night and then eventually, you know, was able to sleep again. Um, and then uh, this morning, you know, was led to do this, uh, this mini videos that I make for for people that I help on, um, you know, aspect of he heals the brokenhearted. And this was about non-judgment, you know, do not judge. And it's, I mean, you know, we all do it. We do it to protect ourselves. We do it to feel better than other people. We do it to protect other people, we think, you know. I'm sure you can think of another, another million reasons. And yet, you know, if we can love and accept it heals a, a million broken hearts. So that was the that was a video. This well, I didn't do the whole teaching. I just did a a mini. This is going to happen video. But um, so my journey, you know, was when I left the man that I was living with, um, having you know given given my life to Christ. I needed to separate from him um, and uh, and you know make make my own life. It's been a long journey, but. In more and more and more, if I just trust, trust what is, like you do, like you try to do. <laughs> <laughs> practicing, practicing every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, dear, 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 I was going to say readers, I, I, I mainly write, dear watchers, yeah, we're all on a journey. Don't condemn yourself wherever you are, all right? It really is. Okay, okay, let's see if we can, yeah, just cope with today just go with today and have joy in our heart that's it that's all we can do it's only now and then 
with the trials, we say, oh, great. I'm going to do a big step forward here. <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't afraid. I've stopped being afraid. Ah, when, when did you stop being afraid? Oh, interesting question. I think when my, fir- my third book came out, which is called Children of God, I, I mean, I, I went through you know major sort of earth-moving trials at the beginning of this, well, the end of last year, beginning of this year, when I'd been a year by the sea, having been working in a, in a parish for seven and a half years, but it was really not helpful. And it had been helpful in some ways because it had really emptied me. Yeah. You know, and yet I knew God was with me. Like it, it, it had kind of. Would you say it? It had stripped you from all of the other attachments through partnership and things absolutely, like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Every attachment, every desire, every ownership. I, I was moved more than once a year sometimes. And my iconography studio, which which was my attachment to my life, you know, was constantly being moved as well. And I was constantly having, you know, I mean, I I learned to be so dispassionate about, okay, <laughs> I'm just doing it, you know, um, but it was triggering stuff at the same time, and yet, um, and yet that that's the second book, um, and I can only say in the long run it was joy, but then being led to see that the dis the dis ease in my heart was against the spirit. And I had to realize that I was afraid of the person I was working with because he was authority. And um, and I had to, you know, face up to that, face up to the false belief that I had to stay there in, in obedience and deal with it, me. Yeah, it's kind of like the the continued invitation to step into our power and surrender arrives even when we're guided away from this the these attachment situations that maybe are playing out trauma or whatever and then we're guided in a direction that is clearly more spirit based in the form of religion of church etc and then the power and the courage to say maybe even that can be constricting in some way and maybe there's another step forward after that well, I think what I had to, I mean, I, I totally accept what you're saying, but I think what I was having to accept was that authority is not necessarily acting for uh, a greater good for me at that time. But I still wanted a win-win situation. I wasn't prepared to behave in a destructive way towards towards them and the parish. parish. So I made it a win-win, and I actually took some because I, I was painting icon, icons for the church, and um, as well as all the other stuff. But um, I left all the other stuff behind, and I. But I did complete the set of the sort of twelve sort of bigish icons. Um, so I took two of them with me uh, when I, when I moved, and uh, moved back to Scotland. Uh, with the spiritual father that I've got now, who's you know he just blesses me whatever I say. So I mean, <laughs> he doesn't seek to control me at all because so. Well, you you needed to be your own authority. It's not so much that I I don't see it like that anymore. 
I needed to stand in the grace I'd been given, in the strength I was given. And so the strength can be absolutely, that can be strength too. But I needed to, well, just as an example, this man this man had been, um, he was sick. I mean, he was physically sick and there was something spiritually and emotionally not healed. So occasionally he would just really shout at me, you know, put me down, blah, 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 to, which to begin with hurt me and affected me and whatever. And I was praying about it a great deal. I wanted to see the truth of this. How was I to respond in a loving way? Because I'd committed myself to love by then. And um, and I don't mean lovey-dovey love, you know, true love. And so I got to the point where I knew that I had to act in a loving way. So the next time it happened, when I'd sent this, this person a, a text um, with information that he'd asked for, and he came storming over me, he realized I was in the garden as well, and shouted at me. And I thought, the poor man's ill. You know, he's sick. So I wasn't affected at all. It didn't hurt me. And I found myself saying, I sent you the text because you asked for the information. And then I walked away so he couldn't, you know, rouse his anger up again, not being put in his place, so to speak, because I wasn't. I was very gentle. I was just speaking the truth in love. And a few minutes later, I'd gone back to where I was working in the garden. And a few minutes later, he came and he apologized. Now, that was just an example of what changed in that situation. But I wasn't going to stay around for any more waiting around for him to decide, you know, that he wanted to do something which wasn't necessarily important anyway. Um, so I I was led to really do, I, I did use my mind then, an analysis of what this was going on in here. And I, that's when I found the fear. So I said, okay, what do I do? So I was led to get in touch with somebody and, the, and I was, you know, it, the, the situation was unraveled and I was able to move. So I now, I sort of, it's strange because I live with, you know, your thinking and yet know that that's not my path. And and so I'm in, I'm in the church, um, but not of it. Do you understand? I sense that I do. And I feel we're all bridges in this world. Yes. We're all yes. integrators. And life, this human life is based in polarity and paradox. Absolutely. The language itself. Yeah. So it doesn't, life doesn't resolve through our opinions or beliefs or language. No. It's It only resolves through through our coming into some integrated knowing through experience. And and that's why I feel people who go through these, you know, what I might call awakening journeys or whatever, their lives no longer conform to one path because our lives were never meant to conform to one path. The conformity no. itself was only a creation in the game of this polarity. But as we step outside of that, we're all paradoxical and we're like, yeah, I'm kind of religious, but I'm also not. I kind of am spiritual, but I'm also interested in, you know, whatever, evidence-based science. It's all um, a mix. And I think it's supposed to be. But the, the, the paradox of all that as well 
is that we become one. Yeah. I mean, I feel a great oneness with you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's the ultimate paradox, isn't it? That we come here to play out a game of separateness and find oneness <laughs> somehow. <laughs> because our oneness is in love. And in the frequency of love, there is no separation. And that's why, you know, when last night, this baggage, you know, that was in my head, it had to know, in your terms, the frequency of love. <laughs> yes. And so this morning, you know, and of course, judging separates. So that's why that's what it, I needed to work on today. Judging root it, roots us in our separateness, in our perceived separateness. Yeah. yeah. So one question I have for you then is, is ab about that bridge, how you've, how I perceive you've continued to bridge worlds. And it's really about this idea of trauma. Like, how did you learn about trauma? Because I imagine that uh, my sense is that that maybe wasn't uh, talked about as much in some of the, the you know, the faith-based study and, and maybe just in the culture you grew up in. So how did you learn about that? Somehow, somewhere, I was given a book by Charles Whitfield. She must be in your, your, your area of work. Um, it, it's called uh, Memory and Abuse. Whitefield? White, Whiting? Sounds familiar. Anyway, and... I started reading it at some point when God had got me into some sort of uh, isolated you know, spot where I couldn't run away. So uh, first of all, I mean, I remember sitting in a caravan, it, you know, which often, it was often raining, and reading um, Virginia Woolf's biography that a woman wrote about and I didn't, hadn't realized that she was, in, she was abused. And I had to sort of like face it. So in the middle of nowhere, in beautiful surroundings, I was facing my truth. And then I don't know where this book came from. No idea. And that's what used to happen. I mean, you know, anyway. So I started reading it. And, you know, I, I mean, disassociation, you, you know all the words better than I do. I did write them down at one time because I tried to articulate, you know, what, what the issues were. But, I, yeah, I got them all, yes, tick, 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 you know. And so I started to be aware that this was an issue, that this was a problem. Um, but, you see, at the end of his book, he says, you know, there's only or ideally the the um, abuse issues are dealt with through spiritual growth through through absorbing it in with the spirit and in the spirit so this particular author had uh, a spiritual openness yeah but it's only only at the end it's interesting and i find that's where we kind of meet in the middle is because you came from uh, a, a kind of faith, a kind of invitation into science. And I sort of came from really no faith whatsoever that I could speak of, although a kind of openness to Buddhist philosophy and and maybe just a, a general spiritual openness that I couldn't name I, into into science and, and from science into faith. Um, yeah. Because... Yes, I could name all the scientific words and what happens to the brain. It's a, but but truthfully, I don't have much use for a lot of that language. And I understand it, and I can be there as a translator for people if it's helpful. But coming back 
into, like we said, coming back beyond the opinions and the labels into the heart space is, is always pretty much going to be the result we're looking for. Because, I mean, literally we are brokenhearted. The mind and the heart have lost their connectedness. And you can go back to science. You can go back to Chinese 100%. Chinese medicine. I've done a lot of tapping, and I, I was, again, blessed by seeing this woman's work when I was trying to learn online stuff to, to reach out to women. Uh, and I was blessed by seeing this woman. I thought, she's doing God's work. So I made a call with her. She was in Australia. She was, is English. But, who, who, was, who was this person? Uh, Indira. Uh, Indira Hnut. Teak or something like that. What what was her what was her work? What was her offering? She's got inner 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 freedom, uh inner inner fitness. So she's she's she does tapping and she does oh tapping uh, yeah. healing. Yeah. Yeah. But healing, um, you know, she she's you know, meditations on the on the uh, organs and meridians and whatever. I see. Amazing stuff. So she and and she, I think, I don't know if I told you this the other day, but after the end of these two hours, which we, we were both riveted, because I said, I want to hear what God has done through your suffering. And she found out what God had done through my suffering, you know. And at one time I must have said to her, I feel as if I carry death with me. So at the end of our two hours, she said, can I do something for you? Can I offer you something? So I, said, I prayed and I was at peace. So I said, yes, please. And she said, I just like to offer some tapping, and I knew what tapping was. You know, I mean, now I know it a lot better. But um, and she said, "We'll just tap about this feeling that you carry death with you." And as she as she tapped, the release of the shame of what my stepfather had done to me, and the silencing, um, just overwhelmed me. And but what a gift! And you know that's been unfolding, you know, for for many for many years. And and I feel it's something we were both invited into, which was what I would call, in some ways, the gift of a kind of energy medicine, a kind of um, yeah. really um, energetic healing of the energetic body where where the trauma is really stored because we can learn so much intellectually about the trauma brain and about the nervous system and all this stuff but it doesn't necessarily right where is it what is it and it doesn't necessarily offer you a healing path you could talk about the trauma for 10 years with a trauma therapist it's not really the same thing as having an experience where you feel something release and you know in that instant wow this process is real yeah, absolutely. And you see that, that you probably don't know the Bible very well, but there's a prayer in the book of Ephesians, which St. Paul says, strengthen them, praying to God the Father, you know, strengthen them in their inner being by the power of the Holy Spirit. Call it energy if you like, but I, I prefer <laughs> to think of it as the Holy Spirit. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. Now, the heart in the Bible is the inner being, which is emotions, mind, and will. So it's it's the connection of the heart with the mind. And it's that way around, not what we've done, which is like, you know, the head showing a little bit of uh, interest in the heart right, right. and all the emotions. Yeah. It's not that. Yeah, And it's just awesome. So it all makes sense to me. 
And and there's actually a lot of science now to back that up. There are there are yeah. um, organizations like the the HeartMath Institute where they really they emphasize this uh, heart brain coherence and what happens to the nervous yeah. system when there's coherence with the <laughs> with the vagus nerve activation and actually that the heart sends more signals to the brain than vice versa. So really em- exactly. emphasizing it as you know a, a neural kind of powerhouse. Um, yeah. So it all that's the beauty is. When you, I find when you let go of an attachment and exclusivity yeah. to one frame, yeah. you know, Absolutely. you are gifted with the grace of all the interconnection. Absolutely. And one of the things I love saying to people who don't understand this, right, um, maybe who are in the church, and I say, or people who are outside the church and don't have any faith, but it, it doesn't matter, is people who don't listen to what God is saying about prayer. And if you praise, give thanks, and pray to something bigger than yourself, meaning that you're recognizing you have need, it, it switches from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah, and that's really what I feel our Western minds uh, crave is is some of that quote-unquote evidence because... You know, a lot of our brains, uh, a lot of our minds are like, okay, prayer, yeah, I get it, but like, how does it work? Like, what? And for us, how does it work means how does it work physiologically? How does it work neurologically? How does it work with the things I can see and test and quote unquote know? And think. And think. Yes. But you see, letting go when the life seems very difficult to praise as I did last night, you know, it doesn't seem, it, it's crazy. In, in, in rational terms. The mind doesn't understand it. No, but true rationality understands because we know what happens. We're lifted in some sense, and then we can see and feel and hear and open ourselves again to ways forward. And that's really kind of the, the journey of flow is that the even, so with the Western mind, this idea that oh, we can bring it all back to science as if that's the end result. But the thing is, that's just helping the mind understand the process of faith and surrender. So you're going to have to dip and, back yeah. out of the water. <laughs> Absolutely. And and the, the wonder, I mean, you know, all right, you're, you're down the journey, I'm down the journey. But I remember, you know, having to let go. And I, I, I wrote a song um, which is about the the promises God's promises to the Jews. So it, it starts um, in being led from slavery, my God. I thought I'd die of thirst, or I thought I thought I wouldn't live, or something like that. But I found the so it's like going from the outer perception of surrender to the inner being, the inner life. The inner hope, you know, and that life that just, I mean, the final verse is, and as the apple of your eye, my God, it seems my heart will burst, but knowing the love of heaven high, my soul will never thirst. And that's, you know, so, but it didn't, it, you know, I mean, like one of them, in the shadow of your wing, my God, life seems very dark. <laughs> Or in the palm of your hand, my God, it seems I cannot move. <laughs> you know, humanly speaking. Yeah. 
the paradox of of knowing God and and feeling the pain of that it, it that I can't seem to know it completely and the humanness is still uh, really challenging. <laughs> so one thing I want to come back to is something we we stumbled upon, which was uh, your bridging of worlds in the sense of you know in in holding this frame of of Christian faith, but but not being completely of it. And to also link that back to something which didn't really seem to resonate with you, which was the idea that you were an authority unto yourself because I perceive your willingness to be within something and outside of it as a kind of authority. Now, it's language is paradoxical because we could also see that as a kind of surrender, but I'm curious how, you know, how you see that capacity within you to be within a frame and simultaneously outside of it. I think it goes back to when, I mean, certainly as a child, I must have been in that sort of circumstance. But going through that time in the parish, I had to know I was God's. And when I'd been in the hermitage, which is when God called me to listen to my pain, I didn't expect him to speak to me. I didn't expect to hear. I thought I was just writing my pain. But not every time, but frequently he, he would speak. And I would, I'd learned by then that I had to say everything that was in my heart. He said to me, I want the warts and all. And when I wrote the books, he said, warts and all. You don't put yourself out there as what you think is perfect. You just speak the truth as where you are and what you're doing. And, and so he said that when I was saying how difficult it was, you know, with, with the male authority and, you know, and the fact that they didn't seem to really seek the depths, you know, the healing of Christ in their depths, and that they took the practices as the thing. And um, it was almost as if God was weeping as well. And he said, I've given free will and, you know, I've given free will. That includes the priests and whatever. And there are other, there are priests too who suffer like you do because they know the truth and they seek the very depths of my heart and the very depths and the height of my love. But he said, I, he said that he was sort of, he made me draw a cross and he said, but the vertical relationship for, for you and everybody is the most important. But you see, what we've tended to think is that our serving is the most important. Mm. And he's saying, this has to be right. You have to be totally trusting in me. You have to love me with all you are. So that's how I hang on. And I, I wonder, there's a few things I would say about it. I wonder if because if we attach ourselves only to the serving, then if something disrupts our capacity to serve, we suddenly feel we're out of God's love. But God is saying exactly. to you, no, it's only about exactly. the knowing. It's only about the knowing. The serving is just a capacity if it flows through you, but it's actually right. not even necessary. No, it, only if it's only if it's made by him. And actually in this book, I asked that, one of the chapters is exactly what you've just said. You know, does this mean I'm, I wasn't a, a child of God when I was when I couldn't serve? Right, and and it, I also feel maybe there's a kind to use some psychological language, a kind of trauma reenactment with the male authority from the the male authority in your early life to some of the male authority in the religious cloak, which also may uh, limit some of those individuals from honoring the depths of their trauma. 
and you probably had a knowing that oh this these people have some have some work to yeah, do absolutely I, I can see directly into people's souls people don't like it but i mean I, i've learned to keep quiet but i thought people would want to know <laughs> mistake <laughs> well and which is why you may have found that particularly within that form of, of structure and and rule-based service wasn't necessarily going to allow you to serve in god's will in in the way you treat you were you were meant to yeah and that's why i think you know i was led to write the books and I mean, the bishop, you know, my spiritual father, said about the first book, these are the spiritual memoirs of a soul who has never ceased to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, a Christian who has been battling in the waves of the rough sea of this life with only one guiding star and destination, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wrote. Apparently as a child, and it must have been, whether it was after one of the previous, you know, one of the earlier abominations or whether it was the final one, and it might have been the final one. I apparent I I know in my spirit that I committed myself to be obedient and to serve Christ as a child. So I know that deep in me there is that it isn't a religious spirit. It's about love, it's about life. Because I haven't been in the same denomination all the time, you know. I've just been on this journey. I I still I even now. I'm having to learn how to live as a human being still, but always in love and always, you know, seeking to bless and encourage and provide in whatever way I'm led uh, to bless others, really, and, and to deal with, you know, my, you know, the fact that we, we lived in poverty and, you know, and I very rarely had anything that I liked. You know, and I, you know, I do have to battle, you know, my own, um, well, I don't battle it. and It's not true anymore. I acknowledge, you know, that um, there are some days where I need to go down to the, the coffee shop in the area where I live and, and have a coffee and these things called a Bavarian slice, which are, <laughs> which are very nice. Yeah, you, you, you allow yourself these things. And so, like, yeah. what kind? Do you have r rules that you live by? Do you do you have rules that you live by? Do you do you limit yourself from certain desires or certain things off limits to you? Well, I mean, I don't live a sexual life. I, I'm celibate. Um, but I that was when you know when I left the man I was living with, you know, and I started reading the Word of God. You know, it said that anybody who'd been married. Um, and then married again would be making the other person a you know adulterer. So I that was when I decided that I would not get married again. But um, you know, there's times I regret that. But you know, at my age, uh, I couldn't be bothered. So was that a rule that instill instilled fear in you, or what was the adherence to that? Right, that's a good question. And I think I think I've been asking that question of myself. Partly it was a love of God, and you know, and partly love for the other person that I would uh, that that I didn't want somebody else to have another layer of separation from God by because of my behaviour. So I'm I'm very aware of that. So I mean, 
I can't help it. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's trauma brain. I think it's love because, you know, I remember once I was in a strange city and I thought I was having to turn right. And then I realized I wasn't. So I stopped blinking and came out of that lane and went straight on. And the poor man behind me obviously had had a bad day and he, his face it was so full of hatred and, you know, banning his horn. I felt I apologized to God, apologized to him. I mean, you know, he'd gone off. And and I prayed blessings on him because I don't know, you know, who knows what anybody else has done. So I can't help feeling like that. Yeah. Well, and it it sounds like a part of you didn't necessarily want to play out the game of separateness through partnership anymore. Oh, definitely not. Because because partnership is this interesting thing where obviously we romanticize it, we idealize it, and on some level we attempt to merge. But even in our futile attempts to merge, we're, we're playing out a game that we're separate, which for me, I am, uh, I would say, more comfortable with playing out that that game because I feel on some level it's what I'm here to do. I do desire a family and that kind of stuff, and I'll I'll play out that game. But the mission I hear quite clearly is don't get too deluded in the fact that you're gonna find mm. love and a partner and a child. It's not. This is still a game. It's still a game. Yeah, but yeah, but sweetheart, you will grow as you reach those. I've got nothing left. You haven't got anything left, but he has. So as you reach those, and there's a wonderful saint called um, Saint Maria Skopskova, who was in Paris in, uh, during the Second World War and before and during. She was a, a, a Russian emigre. And I really like her work. And I was write, reading her, I don't know, theological writing. I mean, that's not a very good word. I, I'm not sure about those things. But anyway, I was reading her stuff because, you know, this was when I was in this parish and I was constantly reaching the end of my my human grace and, and love and needing to know more. And she said, should our human love is limited? You know, we're, we're limited. We are limited, whatever people think. And she said, but his love isn't. And so, you know, when we reach the end, I mean, I have to say, all I all I tend to do is is raise my eyes and say, "Lord, over to you, please come." You know, send your Holy Spirit. She, I can't remember what prayer she did, but it was a very helpful thing for me just to sort of reaffirm, you know, that this is what I was sort of intuitively doing, but this was was this was the way forward. So it wasn't that you don't do those things, right? So the same for you. It's not that you don't do that. You just realize that you need more grace when when you've reached the end. Yes, because it, it's the it's the ultimate letting go for me because I feel pretty strongly I've lived, you know, other lives as a monk and et cetera. But but I wasn't meant to do that in this one. And yet there's is almost a, a layer of fear that says, Am I really going to Am I really going to surrender into the the game of human love, knowing that it's limited? And my answer is yes. I think I will. I think I will. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but you see, in 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 orthodoxy, this might comfort you. In orthodoxy, there are two ways to salvation, which means to get to to God. All right, 
One is marriage and the other is monasticism, both of which require a dying to self. Yeah. <laughs> so there you are. May God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and look, you know, I'm excited for the ride because the time that I've spent in aloneness was deep trauma healing. And it was, and there's so much growth in readying myself to have, I've had some partnerships in the past and they, they didn't go so well. So, it, you know, readying myself for a, a better one, a good one. Yeah. But listen, just remember that you can ask. You can knock and seek and ask. Don't worry about who it is. All right. Just say, you know, love divine, whatever, guide me. Or This is what's on my heart. Yeah. Oh, I am. I, I've, I've surrendered. <laughs> I've surrendered. I hear, I hear voices. I don't know if they're always gods, but I hear lots of things. I get lots of information, and I don't even really know what is my mind and what is God's mind. So no, I don't either. Uh, I don't <laughs> and I don't really attempt to figure that one out. <laughs> well, as I say, my mind was was uh, being brought to the surface. You know, last night was it was coming out of the subconscious to. I mean, it must be terrible for it. Terrible. I mean, I have no conscious memory. Um, and after that final abuse, I know that I had a vision of the mother of God. Uh, and she says, I will be your mother. And, that, you know, and I know that there's been a strength in me that, you know, is beyond, beyond that traumatized child could, could, could do. Yeah. So... Um, I've, uh, it's, it's sort of in my nature. I'm a seeker and I've, um, you know, I continue to explore the modalities and things that are, you know, that, that are out there like plant medicines and psychedelics and, and all kinds of ceremonies and, and things that really open us up. And I've, I've really, I've re-experienced and gone through some of my own trauma, some of which I didn't even know about all kinds of stuff and, and, and energy medicine and stuff. So do you, um, do you explore any any other tools? I know you explored the tapping and you had the grace of that invitation. Do you explore any kind of modalities? No. Uh, when, before I came back into the church, right, I was really, you know, having sort of left my husband and uh, I'm trying to think where I was when I was, if it was when I was with this, with the man I was living with, I was going into all sorts of new age stuff. And, yeah, you know, yeah. And had um, tarot, not tarot readings, you know, star readings and yep. and uh, that sort of thing. And, and in fact, it was one of those that said, "You are very spiritual. You really need to get into spiritual work." Ah, and see, it's it's interesting because you know you you've said like you've said before like the Christ following was was simply the way that you know. God's love, the frame that chose you to express. And I would almost say that in a way, the new age stuff was the frame that chose me because I didn't like, I didn't, I wasn't super interested in psychics and aliens and like, but now I am. And I don't really, I can't really explain right. it beside my experience. Right. But I, I went to a bookshop in, uh, oh, grief, what's it called? It's a really new age place down in Somerset. Forgotten his name. And um, I went into this bookshop and I came out. I had such hatred of myself and such fear. And I lived with all this. And, um, and I came out of that shop. I hadn't, didn't know, but it must have been the only Christian book 
in the place. Right, right. Written by a monk. I did small writing you know, on the back. And there were meditations for a month. And they were like, who am I and this and that. I just sucked it up. I really, I was so empty within. I'd served to the, you know, to my knuckles. I'd given everything I had. Um, and, you know, and I, I didn't know how to pray. I had no idea. It was only as a, as a child. You see, God had given me grace as a child. He said that he, you know, in when I was, when I was listening to my pain, and I, you know, I sort of said, but why did you, why did you, you know, allow it to happen? Why, why did this have to happen to me? Uh, and I, like you, I actually believe that I'd chosen, you know, this path. But, you know, in, in my conscious mind at that point, I, I didn't know that. And um, um, he said, look, I gave free will. Your stepfather chose, you know, to get drunk and do this. You were powerless. He said, but what I could do was give you my spirit afterwards. Which is why the mother of God said you were my child. So I did have great strength as a child. I could do this. But then it had to come to a point where I chose for God. And that's when we have to go through the dark night of the soul. And then we had to, I had to face all this. It really is the age old question of, of, of faith and free will. And that yeah. they're not actually counterposed. Free will was given to us to play out the shadows, and the shadows we exactly. do play. <laughs> we play them absolutely. Play them quite significantly. Exactly. But yeah, but we have to. T and and really, I reached a point when I'd started going to church, and I, you know, I was also going to a, a Quaker meeting because for some time in my life, I'd I'd lived out with the Quaker precepts. In fact, they'd held me together. Um, so if you say, you know, are there any rules that you had in your life? That was um, moderation in all things, living out my 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 commitment to God through service in, in education, and there is that of God in all people. So that's those are what I live with and still do, really. And so for those who, and I know we talked about this a little bit before when we first met, for those who who come to you, who who find their way to you, um, who may not be in faith or may not be in Christian faith, you know, do you always offer the the blessing or the gift, however it looks, through the Christ framework? That's where I'm most comfortable, because I just know, I just know. It's your language. It's my language, but it's also, I mean, I, I, I know that he provides for other people. And sometimes he gives me language to help people, you know, go on. But you see, whether we like it or not, the surrender of whether we call it the ego or, you know, whatever, is actually, you know, an important aspect of our salvation, of our wholeness. Totally. Because if I if I still insist in this, I don't get to this. 
And you're just for the listeners, you're you're pointing to your mind and then to your heart. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, and I know that if I'm block, if I'm doing a sort of windmills of the mind, I'm not going anywhere. It's not going to take me anywhere. But if I descend and listen, either I just get still and at peace because actually there's nothing to be said because there are all manner of things that will be well and are well, you know, or I hear something that needs to be said. So uh, that that's the only reason that, and, and when, when I came back to, you know, the, the church environment, I knew there was an, the time when I had to choose because I was still doing spiritual healing with these spiritual people, you know. But it's, interestingly enough, I was actually praying the name of Jesus when I was doing the healing then. Hmm. It just came naturally to you. Absolutely. Exactly that. Exactly that. I like what you said, um, which is, you know, something of what I find too, you know, because some really want to like abolish the ego as their path of awakening. But I find as long as we're in this human form, it's going to be there. And, and sometimes the way we play out our divinity is through the form our ego takes, through that language, through its desires, through its natural um, framework. Know, knowing that the framework itself is not um, uh, mutually exclusive, it's just the one that works for us. And at the same time, when you show up with people, which is the way that I show up when I would use the word as a channel or a vessel, right? You just, you wait, you wait for the language to come and then you say it yeah, when it comes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And I mean, the, uh, you know, my, my offer, you know, for, for the work that I do, uh, the, the four month lifted journey is, is about renewing of the mind and changing all the negative and destructive habits and thoughts and patterns, you know, um, so that they become, they're not going to get rid of everything in four months, but it's a renewal of the mind so that the pattern is ready and willing to keep raising, to keep trusting, to keep, you know, accepting every new trial as a gift, but being able to reframe it in love so that that's what it's about. But I, um, it's interesting the 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 first four people well they are all christians they are they are all uh, they are all it doesn't they're not uh, what i would call mature christian christians because they hadn't dealt with their pain yeah so for you and i feel that's the integration of your yeah. of your trauma experience is yeah. integrating that into your lifter's journey, which is the, the what yeah. what we could also call sort of rewiring of the of the yeah, nervous system absolutely. and and changing yeah. the beliefs. Right? There's always going to be yeah, yeah. parallel yeah. and linkage there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's your way of taking people who may have sort of a what we might call a, a cursory Christian faith and helping them deepen it into the realms of where we go through the the healing. Yeah. I, I to be honest, I think what's emerging in my understanding is that our Christian, early Christian faith is probably a hiding place because we feel so ashamed, so solid, so dirty that, you know, if we were a Christian, you know, psychologically and maybe, maybe 
intellectually, maybe we think, well, we'll be all right, you know, but of course we've got to deal with it. And let's, and let's also just draw attention to when most people adopt a faith, it is in childhood through the imposition yeah. of the authority that is oftentimes <laughs> fear-based. So it's like, well, you have to accept this because you're dependent on this family structure for survival. So you're a Christian now. And that's not exactly a free will choosing. That's more of a survival-based game. Yeah. But I can remember saying to God, you know, but I have to, I have to trust you. I have to, you know, I can't argue with you. But it's interesting, you know, the more I, I grow in love. Our relationship is so, so much other. And now it's true. I want, I want to believe, trust, love, serve, be knocked about by, and I don't mean knocked about, you know, but I mean, be challenged with my, yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. know, with my blocks because I, I can't do it, but he can. Yeah, and and I I feel it it does the 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 free will is important because it allows us to choose and and desire yes. the faith through exactly. through the wings exactly. of inspiration and what it gives us, which I began to feel and and receive and see the gift of wanting to surrender. Whereas earlier, yes. I was a very resistant and rebellious Absolutely. person. I would yeah. not accept anything basically. No. Because I I could I had not seen any benefit. I I the systems I was a part of, the authorities that you know were providing for me were not really doing it for me. So I was like, oh, who am I gonna who am I gonna surrender to? I don't I don't see anyone out there. <laughs> but I I in my teaching because I wasn't in the church, you know, I was just in this held by God. Uh, but in my teaching, I I was just blessed. I don't know whether they were angels or the Holy Spirit, you know, but frequently in in a lesson when something was going difficult, you know, I'd be given a, you know, something would speak a, a truth into me and I think, oh, yeah, okay, you know, and, and given great wisdom and insight into creating learning situations and whatever for all sorts of people. So I, I knew that loving God, I mean, serving God, you know, actually bless me because i was loving these these people but being loved in return by him and them yeah you know? yeah i could kind of only see in retrospect that that i was protected in a way um from my own behaviors because i was really testing yeah, the limits I mean, and there were a lot of chances I mean, there were a lot of yeah. a lot of times where i might not have stuck around but i it was i could only learn it in retrospect because i didn't have space for it um within me at the time but but now i can certainly appreciate being uh uh, uh brought up against sort of the the bumpers the edges and sort of bumped back into some middle space where i could find my own way but also serve others dear soul yeah well that's that's that is that is the way that it flows through me as i learn how to serve myself in in the highest yes. order yeah uh, and that yeah. and it fills me up it's not an obligation I love to serve people. It really delights me. Exactly. Exactly. And I love to love, you know. Yeah, it feels great. Yeah. <laughs> it feels great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When when I made this little video this morning, I, I was playing it through to myself. And, and the young woman who's staying with me at the moment came in and she said, Oh, Marina, you look so alive. Yeah, that's 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 the idea. 
That's the idea. That's the way. Um, good to be alive. Um, okay, Marina. Well, I'm, I'm feeling like this is a really natural place um, for us to start to wrap, wrap things up. It's been a really delightful um, and, and enlivening uh, conversation with you. Um, I just want to, you know, open the space for you to say anything else you'd like about your offerings, about um, how people can find you if you'd like them to, and really anything else at all. Well, I feel that the the books, which, you know, we, I didn't intend writing books. When I was writing my pain, I didn't know it was going to be a book. And it was about three years later during COVID that I was led to realize that this this was going to be a book. And then when I'd left that parish and was in a very safe space, a very beautiful space by the sea uh, back in Scotland, um, to make this was the first book and then the second and the third. So the first one is is called you know Treasures of Darkness and is really a chance for people. It's written to uh, with a with a view to the reader being somebody who has suffered some sort of trauma. So there's a sort of reflections about my sort of diaries, but also these these poems that I wrote about you're facing my pain, but reflections on them so that the reader can come to a greater understanding too of their own stuff. And this space written, I mean, space made so that, that people can write their own poetry yeah, in, love in, it. in the book um, because it may trigger stuff, you know, for people. And then they find the release of actually owning and outpouring, you know, um, and they can see what God was saying to me, and it, it's not written for me. This is the this is the key thing. Um, all this work, because I said to him long, long time ago, if if I have to go through this, I don't want to go through it if it's just for me. And you know, he sort of said, "Of course, it's not." <laughs> so, and this, 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 so these books. So the first one is Treasures of Darkness, Facing the Pain and Finding the Light. The second one is Your Will Be Done. And this is the great mystery of serving, serving with love, you know, deliberately seeking to go with, with God's love and growing because we constantly come up against the, the love that we never received. And so we have to go in God's love. And so you're growing. So that's why it's called Your Will Be Done Beyond Powerlessness Fear, Life Revealed in Love. So it's that opening up to, to love in all sorts of ways um, and, and his truth. And the third one is called Children of God Conformed to the Life-Giving Cross in Joy and Hope in eternal life. I know you asked me when did I, you know, stop being afraid. But I, and as I say, I think it was when I started writing this. And I thought, yeah, I am conformed to the life-giving cross. I don't mind. There's no there's no death because there's resurrection. And you know, the de every death of, of my trauma brain is is blessing, but I have to face it. I have to own it, and I have to be willing to receive a new life <laughs> and risk not knowing. 
So the, all of those are available on Amazon. I don't know whether you're going to make a post or what you yeah, do. I'll, I'll, you... Yeah, I'll, I'll write that in the show notes for sure. All right, okay. And then I on my Facebook page, which is um, Halloween Marina, there are all the posts in relation to, uh, or the current posts in relation to the Lifter program, which is a, a program I run, which is now four months, to help people recognize where they are with their faith, you know, and, and who they are and their understanding of themselves. Um, so it is, it is probably essentially for people at least with some sense of a faith beyond themselves. Yeah. You know, faith in a divine being who seeks their good, or at least a, a willingness to believe that. I had to, I had to relearn you know, a lot of that. But God did it as he moved me forward. So those are the three, the two things really. And the, the website, you could put that on if you're going to. Um, because there's there's offers on the website, which, you know, even if you haven't got any faith, there's a, an offer of 12 videos that you get, I think every two days, which just are mini videos of God's calling on my life, bringing me back to have some faith and something that I could lean on whilst I faced this darkness. I could not have done it on my own. I'm not sure if any of us could. Um, I, I And I like how you say, we will continue to bump up against the limitations of our human love. So we will sort yeah. of always be invited back into a greater love because we'll never fully get what Absolutely. we want through that pursuit. No, no. Well, I mean, there are very few, you know, saints. There are some saints who were considered to be fully there before they died. But who knows? Yeah, right. I'm not there. Right. That's probably when they left. That's probably when they left. Yeah. <laughs> right when they left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, beautiful, Marina. And, and yeah, thanks for sharing. I will certainly put all of that in the show notes. It has been a pleasure and an honor to, to have you and to connect with you. And, and I thank you for, for facing your darkness. And I thank you for allowing me to share it in the way that was comfortable. It's a joy. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you liked the episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen. And if you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out on Instagram, my website, or my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Atkins, where for $5 a month, you can gain access to all sorts of exclusive benefits and offerings for the Be The Vessel community. This includes live channeled events, a new healing series podcast, and more. Until then, may you be the light, the frequency, and the vessel for your highest vision.